Well, good morning. As Amanda said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. I serve primarily on Sundays out of our Montrose campus. I'm part of our leadership team, and I get to work with students. So Friday night, I was with your student ministries volunteers at Sky Zone Trampoline Park with 107 9th through 12th grade students uh, who got to hear the Word of God, got to hear the gospel, and had a great time getting their jump on. So uh, really, really fun. So if you, um, if you give to Bridgewater... Uh, you were a part of that because we cannot do that stuff without you. And honestly, I love the fact that we all work together as our campuses because no one campus can pull off that kind of an event. But together, we can do that. Uh, I want to show you a picture. This picture is a suitcase. Suitcase, this suitcase reminds me of uh, summer camp. When I was young in elementary school, I used to go to summer camp. The camp we went to was called Double D Camp. And uh, two guys named Dan and uh, Dan... Uh, began that camp, and so uh, it was called Double D Camp for them, and I used to go to that camp from like, I don't know, it must have been like first grade, second grade, like from the time we were very young, like three or four days, some overnight, and so volunteer counselors coming in, staying in cabins, and it was a highlight. This camp had a swimming pool, it had a lake, um, the food was great for all I knew, and uh, it just had the time of my life, and my typical um, way of doing things was to get to camp and just like, like I was just like hyper stimulated, just overwhelmed at all that th there was to do there. And so one of the things that happened as a result of that is I never really opened my suitcase. I, well, I did open my suitcase, but only to get my swimming trunks out. Um, I got my swimming trunks out and I would I'd go swimming because they had a pool and it was great. And they had a lake and that was fun too, paddle boats, canoes and all that. So one of the things that also didn't happen that week was a shower for me. Um, never once showered. I didn't need to. I was in the pool, right? It, it's by nature a cleaning agent. Um, the chlorine just killed everything that was gr growing on me. Uh, the lake, you know, the lake did it, took care of it too. And I happened to get in my dad's medicine cabinet to grab his, uh, his cologne without asking uh, before going in. So if I, if I thought maybe I was a little foul, then all you do is just spray over it, right? Uh, so I would, I would come home and my mom would just, uh, she'd just kind of lose her mind because she would open up the suitcase when I got home and all the clothes in there were folded nice and neat. They smelled fresh and clean. Uh, in fact, that during the week, like I just rotted my teeth with candy, the, the big old Jolly Rancher strips, and you just bite down hard and then you couldn't, you couldn't unclench because, you know, and that's probably why I'm spending so much money these days at the dentist. Um, but anyway, like all that. But I would borrow money from friends uh, to go to the snack shack to get that kind of stuff because I didn't have any money. Well, the truth is I did have money. It just was in my suitcase. <laughs> my mom had put a $5 bill in there. And for that time, and now I feel like what my parents used to sound like or my grandparents. And that day, $5 went a long way. And uh, I had everything I needed in that suitcase. I just, I didn't open it. And that was the problem. I was fixated on all that was going on in my world at camp, everything that was happening. I was too busy. I was too busy doing all the stuff and pouring on cologne um, to look into my suitcase. And so here we are in Exodus tracking the story of the people of God as they move from slavery, from captivity in Egypt, out from Egypt, and now, all of a sudden, they are taking on this new identity as the people of God. And uh, they had survived God's judgment of the firstborn through the blood of a lamb. 
And uh, we looked at that last week. And uh, Moses is their director. God is now their leader. And God is now the provider of everything that they're going to need. You see, it was Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh was their provider. Pharaoh was the one laying down the law. Pharaoh was the one deciding the rhythm and pattern and schedule of their life. But now Pharaoh is out of the picture. And now it's God. And all they know about culturally and how to live their lives has been informed by the pagan society, the godless society in which they were living. They have a well-established rhythm of life. They knew where to get their water. They knew where to get their meat. They knew where to find shelter. They had all of that. So though they were slaves, they were at least secure. And at least life was predictable. Now there's something completely other happening. Their life is now shaken up. And this is true of us, too. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, as Amanda described, happened for Aiden, young man in Conklin. I get to see him tonight, by the way. Um, But if that's happened for you, then you are in a similar situation to the people of Israel. You see, because we said you were enslaved to sin, you were in Egypt, as the Bible uses Egypt as a Uh, an illustration for what it's like to be enslaved to sin. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have been set free from sin. But the old patterns and the old habits and the old rhythms and routines of your life are meant to go away and you're meant to take on this new way of living where now you're following Jesus, you're following his commands, you're following what he wants for you. He's now calling the shots. But if we're honest, it feels a little frightening. It feels, we feel a little bit off balance when we begin to do that. If you've missed the first series or you're here today and you're wondering how in the world do I get rescued from slavery to sin and become a follower of Jesus, we would still love to engage with you about that. So grab the arm of the person who brought you here this morning. Talk to anyone who is up here on stage, any of our guest services people with with the badge. We would love to engage with you about how you can become a follower of Jesus. Now, I need to tell you, as we get into where our story parallels theirs here, coming out from slavery, becoming the people of God, we're going to cover significant ground in the Bible. So if you have a paper copy, you're going to want to get that, and you're going to be burying your nose in it this morning, all right? If you have it on a device, then get ready to scroll. Finger or thumb, whatever your style, get ready (laughs) And if, uh, if you're uncomfortable with either of those things, as we all were at one point, uncomfortable with God's word, we're going to show it to you on the screen as well. So no fear, it'll be there for you. All right. So here is the first truth that I want us to wrestle with. I'm going to give you the truth, and then we're going to see how it's unfolded in God's word. When you come out of slavery, when you come out of slavery to sin and are rescued and become a follower of Jesus... You're a little off balance. You're a little afraid. What does God do to help you in that moment? Here's the first truth. He provides blessings I don't deserve. He provides blessings I don't deserve. One of the common questions that I deal with in talking to people is, what's the point of my life now, now that I'm a follower of Jesus? Like, I I understand, I came to that moment of need where I was confronted with my sinfulness and the fact that there's nothing I could do about it, but Jesus, he did something about it for me, and I just have to believe that he did that? Yes, you do. And so if I do that, then my future is heaven, and hell is no longer a possibility for me. Is Is that true? Yes, that's true. Great. Now what? Now what? Like, what's the point of my life now? I just, like, do the best I can and wait for heaven? 
I have to go to church now all the time? You're telling me I got to read this ancient book? Like, a lot? Like, you even asked me about it in the survey. What's, what am I doing here? And, and, and how am I supposed to do it? Because honestly, if, if you and I are honest, it feels a little bit much at times. The things we hear in church, the things we're encouraged by our friends who are followers of Jesus, it seems like there's a lot to do. Or maybe a better way to say it is a lot not to do. Right? Sometimes we feel that way. But God gives blessings I don't deserve. And I want to show you how this happened for the people of Israel. We'll see how it parallels us as well. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. We'll be in multiple chapters today. And so we'll be shifting gears kind of on the fly. Um, So here we go. Exodus 11, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Moses... I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And that's the plague that we covered last week. That's the death of the firstborn. So we're going back a little bit here. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Parentheses. I I wouldn't put this in a parentheses because this next part is amazing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Understand what's going to happen here. God is going to destroy, he's going to kill the firstborn. People, cattle alike. All in Egypt, everyone's under this plague. So this is now the judgment of the people of Israel on this nation. But God made the Egyptians favorably disposed. He made the taskmasters favorably disposed to the Israelites so that when they asked them for articles of gold and silver and clothing, the Egyptians said, okay. Crazy, crazy. Uh, Chapter 12 now, verses 31 to 36. This is now after the plague of the firstborn has been delivered. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, herds, as you have said, and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, carried it on their shoulders and kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord has made, had made the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward the people. They gave them what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians." The people of Israel had been slaves in this nation for 400 years, and all of a sudden, they're going to leave. And when they leave, they say, give me all your money. And the the Egyptians say, okay, here you go. And would you like this jacket too? Yeah, it's nice. We sometimes read this stuff and go, okay, yeah, right, right, right. And we, we don't stop to consider how miraculous it is, how unbelievable what God is doing is it would have been enough honestly it would have been enough for God to say free you're free now go but that's not what God does he actually gives them money in their wallets and a nest egg to put in the bank he sets them up for their future he doesn't just invite them into a life with him he doesn't just call them out of slavery he says and I'm going to provide you every single thing you need along the way He provided them with both freedom and the resources to help them flourish in their freedom. And God has done the same for us. 
it would have been enough. It would have been enough if God had just delivered us from our sin. From the power of sin in our lives. From the penalty of sin that's coming. But that's not all he did. He's provided abundant resources to help you and me flourish in this new life that he's called us to. I am afraid, though, that many of us either don't understand what these resources he's given us are, or we know what they are, we just don't see the value in them. It's like not knowing what you have. You know, it's, it's my grandmother. My grandma, she, she, uh, when I was born, she bought four certificates of deposit in my name, and they just sat there. And I learned when I must have been seven, eight years old that grandma bought four CDs for me. And I thought, music? Right? <laughs> Little did I know when I got to college, I turned 18, it was time to cash those babies out. And that paved the way for me to get my education. I didn't know what I had. It was there, but boy, when it was time and I finally understood what it was, what a blessing and I think that God has done that for us as well. But I think we are like, huh? What, what do we have? There's a number of blessings God has given us to help us flourish in our new freedom from sin in our relationship with him. And I'm only going to just give you one of them. I could literally just sit here and talk about multiple of them. In fact, there were lots that we as a pastoral staff, and we just landed on one. One to talk to you about, and it's this. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ to push us to righteousness. Consider what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And you're sitting there saying, did he just say church? Did he, did he really just say church? That thing that I Got to drag myself out of bed on Sunday morning to do. Uh, Got to serve in kids again. I hope it's interesting. Yeah, I said church. And I only said church because God said it first. Like, it wouldn't have been my idea. I could think of other things. You know, I'm, I'm just weak enough to want to be entertained and distracted all the time. I don't always feel like plugging in and giving myself to a group of people who are going to let me down and who I am going to let down. I don't want to do that. This is messy. Church is messy. If you've been around church for any length of time, wow, bless you. Right? Because we're a bunch of people in need of help. Significant help. Helping people in need of help. That's who we are. We are messed up and we are blessed by God. It's unbelievable. You surprised by this provision? One of the things that God has given you to help you flourish in your newfound freedom and a relationship with Jesus is the church. Spur one another on, the writer of Hebrews says, toward love and good deeds. It doesn't, doesn't say tickle. doesn't say pat. No, spur. It's uncomfortable by nature. And sometimes that's exactly the medicine that I need. God brings it to me, and I'm glad he does. I have a number, number of people in my life who have, get their spurs ready to go when they talk to me. Sometimes I recognize it as a blessing. Sometimes I recognize it as a blessing. As we worship, as we learn, we are fueled up to go make more followers of Jesus. 
That should be the intended result. Not, ooh, that was good. Mm, I really like that. Ah, oh, that was fun. But, oh, let's go. Let's go. God has saved us. He's given us a mission. Let's go get on it. That's what church is meant to do. And as we do that, naturally, sin and things that don't belong in our lives fall away. I don't need that stuff. I'm too busy. I'm too busy telling people about Jesus. I'm too busy making a difference in my workplace. I'm too busy making a difference in my community. I'm too busy making a difference in my family. I don't have time for all that sin garbage. I've been set free from that. That was Egypt. I know that. was. I'm not going back there. And one of the things, one of the resources God gives us to help us remember it's better here than there is church. It has a way of recentering us, reminding us of what's true. I mean, we sang about it. We couldn't have sung more perfect songs to remind us of who we are and what God has done. And I wonder, those of you who have been around the faith for a while, is just is just, just a habit, just old, just meh. It's just kind of part of your life now? Or does it fuel your mission? It needs to fuel your mission. If there's an undervalue, an undervaluing in your life of church, it's not a deficiency in church. Church is God's program. It's likely a deficiency in your understanding of it or in your participation in it. Those are the places to look first. So you need to consider how you can help each other grow here in the context of the local church. And this is why we celebrate these stories. Because when the church is the church, lives will be changed. And this young man, Aiden, not only will become a follower of Jesus, rescued from his Egypt, he will become an agent of change in other people's lives. That is your goal, that is his goal, that is my goal, and we're in it together. So, so God provides this newfound freedom. He's got this new freed people. He invested in their future. He took care of their past, and he's going to sustain them over the long haul. But living in freedom, and can we just be real honest together this morning, living in freedom is not easy. Following Jesus does not rescue us from reality. It gives us a new way of dealing with and overcoming our reality. There are dangers and battles along the way. Some of our dangers and battles seem too big to handle. And honestly, some of them are. Some of them are just way too big. Life as the people of God following Jesus is still life. It's still difficult. But there's another way God resources us in this life, and here's what it is. He fights battles I can't fight. He fights battles I can't fight. That's what he does. There are challenges and difficulties that you are going to face that you were not meant to win on your own. Let's look in Exodus chapter 13 starting in verse 17. So turn the page, hit the button, use your thumb. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night... 
and a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. We're on our way. We're going. Look, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump that way. And God says, not that way. I know that's the short way. We're going to go this way. I want you to put yourselves right up against the Red Sea. doesn't seem like a, a military strategy that's going to bring a victory. But the, it's exactly what God asks of them. And we get the benefit of being able to read it. We don't have to experience this. We just get to read about this. So the stage is being set for something amazing. And here's, here's what Paul Tripp has to say about this. And I've got this up on the screen for you as well. Moses didn't understand this. The fearful army of Israel didn't understand this. Many of us panic today because we don't understand this. God's grace provides everything you require. God's grace is form-fitted for your moment of need. God's grace is multifaceted and expansive, but also focused and personal. God in grace doesn't just forgive you. He also empowers you to do what he called you to do. But he gives you his grace as you follow him at the moment when you need it. It has always been hard for the people of God to rest in the reality of grace in motion. There is no better example of this than when the children of Israel found themselves at the Red Sea with the angry army of Egypt bearing down on them. Exodus 14 verse 10 as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Paul Tripp continues, even though they have just experienced God's miracles that secured their escape from the slavery of Egypt, the children of Israel stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army with no means of altering their circumstances are in a complete panic. They're convinced that Moses has dragged them out into the wilderness to die. But God knows exactly what he's doing. He has manufactured the whole situation to demonstrate his glory to his people and to defeat the Egyptian army. And if it is necessary to part the waters of the Red Sea, he will do that for his children. What he does not do is tell them what's going to happen beforehand. Why? Because he's working in them as he works in us to craft them into people of robust and sturdy faith. He calls them to follow and he willingly unleashes his grace as they do so. And I can't tell the story better than God did. So back in the Bible, Exodus 14, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will gain glory 
through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it, turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing, um, the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This part of the account blows my mind. God has already flexed his muscles huge in bringing the plagues on Egypt. He's done the impossible, rescuing them after hundreds of years of captivity, giving them silver and gold and clothing on the way out, not leading them down a particular path because they knew he knew they couldn't handle it. This is crazy. God says, don't go the short route. The Philistines are there, and the, and the war is just going to discourage this people. I don't want the war to discourage people. Just put them up against a Red Sea. And that's going to encourage them. Like, I'm thinking, why wouldn't God just, like, cause the, uh, the Philistine army just to get all confused? Now, we could make sense out of that, couldn't we? But if God's going to do something amazing here, he's going to make no mistake in who did it and why he did it. The solution was get them across the Red Sea. How? Simple. God will just part it. He'll just part it. This is an unbelievable wonder unmistakable work of God. And so that very staff that God asked Moses, hey, what's in your hand? And Moses said, the staff. God said, yeah, pick up that staff and raise that thing over the Red Sea. Watch what I do. Just watch what I do. As they cross, the Egyptians pursue, they freak out. Listen, God didn't ask the Israelites to fight. He didn't. He just said, watch. Watch. Just watch. The, the Egyptian army and their chariots and all their fighting men would be too much for the people of Israel, but not too much for God. And sometimes the situations that you and I find ourselves in, too much, too much. Uh, white flag, like I'm done. I can't handle it. What, what, what am I supposed to do? And maybe at that moment, God is saying, what are you supposed to do? Just watch. Just watch. Our sin-cursed world is hard to live in. Trouble and difficulty everywhere. Following God will not afford you a life of ease and convenience. And any one of you who have been following God for any length of days know that's true. It's still life. It confuses and scares us. We find ourselves in impossible situations. But in our trouble, God steps in and shows that he is bigger than what we're facing. 
He's stronger than our pursuer. He is more compelling than our temptation. And here's one way he resources us when we get ourselves in spots like this. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He provides us a way of escape. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I, this, I love this passage. It says so much, but can I just point out one thing? He will provide a way out so that you can what? What's it say? Endure it. Sometimes the way out is through. God doesn't ask you to handle things that are too big for you. He just reminds you that he can. If it's too big for you to handle, it's not too big for him. And he's not asking you to carry it. He's asking you to trust him to carry it. And I wonder how well this morning you're leaning into his provision. I wonder what your responses to difficulty tell you about how much trust you're putting in what he's provided. We are a resourced people. And I think sometimes we face trouble or temptation and what we're learning is how difficult life in a fallen world is and how hard sin is to resist and, and how the pressure is everywhere and we just can't handle it. But I think what we're actually learning is how difficult life is to face and how strong the temptations are when we're not using the resources that God has provided for us. Who is the Israelite who says, Moses, your staff. Remember that staff that turned into a snake? Remember that staff that turned the dust to gnats? Remember that one? It's like, doesn't God do something when you use that? Just do that. Who says that? They weren't saying that. Like, Moses, we were better back in Egypt. The moment it got what looked like too much for them to handle, they said, okay, I see. You're just trying to leave us out here. And I think sometimes you and I feel that way as we follow Jesus. Seriously, my husband, my wife, my kids, no one, no one understands. They don't, they don't get it. This is just ridiculous. God did not bring you out of slavery from sin to leave you alone. He has resourced you in so many ways. God does not remove us from real life. He sustains us through it. To be a follower of Jesus is not to deny reality. And we are people who want rescue. Oh, boy. I don't know how red or blue we are in this congregation this morning. But I know that it doesn't matter who's in charge. Someone's not happy. And we just want deliverance from our government. And maybe God's saying, yeah, it's not my agenda here. I'm really just going to sustain you through it. You can handle it. You can handle it in a way that honors me. I wonder, and, and, and then we get into this church talk. Oh, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. Like, like, just stop. Just stop, really. Just be honest. Sometimes life is really, really hard. It is. We don't have to deny that. It's in the difficulties of life that the strength of God shows up most clearly. I, I often wonder what invisible things God has done in my life to keep me from sin, from, from, to keep me from what would be too much for me. You know, he told the Israelites, don't go the shortcut. They can't handle it. I wonder what things God has done for me to remove the things that I can't handle that I don't even know.
You know, it's like my parents leaving and locking up, making sure everything that could be of danger to me is put away or locked up, and I don't even know it's there. You know, bringing all the car keys with them. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> they learned their lesson. God provides all we need for our relationship with him. All we need to thrive in our newfound freedom in following Jesus and when I th- what I think I'm facing is too big for me, he shows up and reminds me that it's not too big for him. And I would love to do a better job at remembering all this. I really, really would. I want us to notice a couple things. Um, just be prepared back there, Lou, to go to Second Peter. The people of Israel were in a position of great need. You and I are often in a position of great need, and that's okay, because God is always in the position of being the provider, always. It's not that what we need isn't there. It's maybe we just haven't recognized what already is there, like our church, or maybe the way of escape that he's given us to deal with the trials and temptations of life. He provides all I need and how quickly I can worry and doubt and wonder if God will show up. I get bent out of shape over what I don't have, what I think I need, and wonder if I'll have enough to handle what's coming down the pike. And God provides all I need to follow him. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here's another way he's provided. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. The very same breath that I use to complain about what I don't have is the breath that God himself has provided for me to breathe. His track record is perfect. He has not earned my doubt. He has only earned my trust. And it's almost scary how the story of the people of Israel parallels my own. And I think maybe yours too. We have all we need. We're rescued from sin and it's so exciting, but now we're sort of insecure in this life. We wonder what the point is and now temptation is hard to face and this is really challenging and I'm losing some friends and and I'm trying to understand this ancient book that was written for me, I guess, Um, and now I gotta go to church so I gotta change my schedule and now I don't know what I can do and not do and it's just a lot and you know what? I think it was better before. And God is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't bring you out of slavery to leave you alone. I've given you more than you need. More than you need. And I think we're a little bit like that elementary camper who goes to camp with a suitcase with everything he needs in it, even money for the snack shack. We just never open the suitcase. And I would say, based on the arguments of Scripture, we've got more than a suitcase. I think we've got more like a thousand suitcases. And I wish, I wish there was a, an image to adequately communicate to you how wealthy we are in resources, in living for God. I don't think, I don't think we found how difficult life is. I think we found how difficult life is when we don't open up the suitcases.
It's all there. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't, I don't know if you would say you're marked by doubt, complaining, fear, anxiety, frantically trying to control things so that they don't get out of hand. I, I don't know. But I think maybe this morning you and I just need to breathe and relax into God's control. I think we need to remember who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a freed person of God. You are given a mission. We'll talk more specifically about that mission next week. And we are in the position of need, and God is in the position of provider, so let's ask our provider to provide for our need as the band comes up. God, we, we need you. I need you. For sure, life is difficult. Jesus didn't even deny that when he cried out to you to take the cup that you were asking him to drink away from him. He stared reality in the face and he entrusted himself, Peter says, to him who judges justly. We know that you're a just judge and you'll do everything that you need to do so that we can do everything that you're asking us to do. Would you this morning overwhelm us with your goodness at how much you've given us? Help us to trust you and just kind of soak in your blessing and may it motivate us to live on mission. In Jesus' name, for our joy in your glory, amen. Just stand and we're gonna close with this last song. Um, it's a newer song.